You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the fabulous Feinsteins, 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones, and also there is no flash photography, please. Welcome to the Fine Signs 54 Below podcast. I'm Nella Vera, the club's director of marketing. Our guest today is a seasoned Broadway performer who has had a 20-plus year career performing on Broadway. He is a co-founder of the Black Theater Coalition, an adjunct professor at NYU, Tisch, and Columbia, and he's even a former producer here at Fine Signs 54 Below. His credits include roles in Dreamgirls, La Caja Fall, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Once on This Island, and more. Most recently, he was announced as the newest Hermes in Town on Broadway. On July 24th, he returns to Fine Signs 54 Below with his solo show, That Sunday, That Summer. T. Oliver Reed, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much, Nella. And you have the best name in all of show business. You oh my that, gosh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. I love it. It's so great to have you here. I would love to start by asking you, uh, how did you start in musical theater and performing? <laughs> uh, I started, well, I started singing in a choir in my church in, in Gaston, in North Carolina, when I, I think I was four years old, the first time I started singing. And I was in gifted and talented classes in elementary school and my guidance counselor was on the board of our local little theater and she asked me if i would audition for a production of shenandoah that they were doing at that point i was nine but i had i had been watching you know <laughs> turner classic movies tnt those saturday morning they would do the mgm movie musical so every saturday i would watch something and sometime between seven and nine is when the, the national tour of annie was going around and Every afternoon after school, I would get home and I would put on that cast recording of Annie and sing every song, every part in every song. And uh-huh. my parents finally were like, Annie's coming to Charlotte on tour. We're taking you to see Annie because we never want to hear that, that, that song again. <laughs> so that's, that's really how I got started. And I was, I was nine years old doing, doing uh, the first show, which was, again was Shenandoah. Oh, wow. Amazing. Did you also have any special dance training? Because I know you've danced quite a bit. I have. I I did not at that point. It literally was in Shenandoah. The choreographer there would teach me some steps. I was like, okay, I I picked those up. And she also ran uh, a ballet school in my hometown. So for about six months, I took classes, I think, uh, between sixth grade and seventh grade. And I was at that age when young boys are are usually like, yeah, I don't want everyone knowing I'm dancing. And there were several, (laughs) several female identifying dancers who were in the class. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be in dance class with them right now. So I didn't dance again until I got to college. Uh, and I went to the North Carolina School of the Arts, uh, now known as the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. And I was a music major and we all had to take a dance movement for singers class. And Eula Pondi, who was a ballet instructor, uh, and he he convinced me that I could actually dance. And then he convinced uh, Susan McCullough, who was the dean of the School of Dance, 
to allow me to take classes in ballet, modern, when they could when, I, when they could fit into my music schedule. So I really didn't start dancing until until college. Oh wow, wow! Yeah. But you obviously are pretty good at it <laughs> and had a knack for it, so that's good. Because um, usually dancers, they say, you know, you want to, you have to start young and all of that. But that's great. You've yeah. done so many iconic shows throughout your career. Is there a role or two from your resume that has a special place in your heart? Well, I I, I would be lying if I said that Hermes and Hades Town didn't have a special place. <laughs> it, it truly does. Um, I think let more so the some connections from shows and and friendships or or mentorship from different shows are the things that stand out. I, I've, I've been able to understudy a lot of amazing people, but to be a part of what was my first Broadway show was the the first revival of Kiss Me Kate with Brian Six Mitchell and the incredible Marin Maisie and directed by Michael Blakeborn, being able to work with Kathleen Marshall uh, that first time. That That is one of those things. Like I, I learned so much from that show and, and hold on to so many of those relationships over the years. Similarly, with most of the shows, um, it's a really modern Millie because it was, you know, it was Sutton's first Tony nomination it was Rob Asford's first big Broadway show where he wasn't assisting someone else. Uh, Lacage had his own like joys. The Wedding Singer, just because of who the cast was, we had such an amazing time with that show. We did um, a reunion at 54 Below uh, years ago. Uh, yeah, I remember. Like, yeah. So like there, there, there's so many things about each of the shows that, that hold on, hold in my memory. Yeah. Probably less so than, you know, a, a track or a, a performance. Yeah. Um, again, well, I'll say Hades town, number one, Hermes, and also once in this Island, because my first professional job after graduating from UNCSA was a second national tour of once in this Island. So that all felt like a, a, full circle moment to come back to that show, the original, my original time with the show, I played Daniel and to come back and to cover Agwe and Tonton Julian and Papa Gay, all those things that I wish that I had been able to do when I was 23 years old. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And all I, I've seen so many of those shows and, you know, that production of Kiss Me Kate was just perfection. Iconic. Yeah. I, you were the suitors, right? You were the. I was first one of the suitors. Suitor. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I also, and, and I also then did another production of Kiss Me Kate uh, at Shakespeare Theater of DC several years ago. And it was one of those things once you, once you've done it, and you know uh, Alan Paul who directed that version. It was a. It was this sort of tango of how do we change these scenes that Michael Blakemore directed between Marin and Stokes, and at one point we were all like, "There's no reason to change them. They're they're exceptional." like the way that they stage those in those dressing yeah. rooms. And it's like, there's, there's no better way to do them. So why try and, you know, fix something that ain't broken? Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. I was listening. I was seeing Stokes this week because he's playing at our club. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm one of these people that for 20 years has been begging the universe for a revival of ragtime. And then I'm watching him sing Wheels of a Dream. And I think to myself, do I really want a revival? Because that was pretty much perfection yeah. and you're not going to get better than that Nella. So yeah. maybe that was it, you know, maybe, <laughs> that, the, you know, <laughs> that, that was the one, that was the one version for, for many of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Um, 
I do want to congratulate you uh, for everybody who's listening. And of course, everybody already knows this. It was recently announced that you would be the new Hermes in Hades Town on Broadway. Yes. How fantastic. How Thank did you, you find out that you had the role? And how did you react? And what was that like? Who told well, it, you? <laughs> okay, but, okay, but so for all of us, it, it's, it, was, it was a long process. Uh, when it feels like I've, I had the longest rehearsal process in history since I've been with the show since it went into rehearsals on Broadway. Uh, and part of the reason that I, I wanted to do the show was to be able to watch the process of Andre the Shields and Patrick Page mm-hmm. because I just I think they're both amazing craftsmen, perhaps people and how they build roles. So to be able to watch them. And also I'm I've always been one of those people's like I wanna I wanna be able to do more than one role in something. So for me, like covering is always it's always just kind of made sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was it was sometime in originally in like January or February, I had a call, had a conversation with producer because it was it was thought that maybe Andre was going to go from eight shows to like six shows a week. And it's like, would you stand by? Would that be fine? It's like, yeah, let's let's start to have that conversation. And then Andre changed his mind and said that he was giving his notice. So then there was the back and forth of of what will happen next if if they will look for, you know, a celebrity name to come in to fill that position or, or where we are. And I got a call from my, my agent and manager saying that uh, they wanted to offer me the role. So I, I'm, I'm here through September 4th right now, and we'll, we'll see what happens after that. Amazing. That's yeah. so wonderful. And of course, I went back to see it the last week that Andre was there because you have to see it because yeah. it's Andre. Yeah. And then now I have to see it again before uh, in September Come again. Come on which, back, yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a great show too. It's so you know, there's so much in it. Like you can yeah. watch any area of the stage at any time. So multiple mm-hmm. viewings are necessary because there's Absolutely. so much going on. Um, and, and also just to, to hear the music. I mean, I when I found out that, that the show was coming to Broadway because I. I had been a fan of the music because I'm, I'm friends with Chris Sullivan. So I had listened to that New York Theater Workshop recording over and over. And it for a while, it was the only thing that was on on deck that I was listening to playing on my phone. I literally was going from song to song to song. Uh, so it's the, the music and to come back and hear different parts of the music because there, there are things that you may miss in one showing. And like you said, with being able to see, you know, around the stage and see what's going on, there, there are reasons to to come back and see the show again, just like you would with your favorite movie. Yeah, exactly. And obviously it's a huge testament to your talent that you get to follow Andre the Shields in this role. Um, <laughs> yeah. you've, now you've watched Thank him you. for yeah. quite a while doing the role. What lessons do you think you're taking yes. from him as you take over the role? I, well, I, I think some of the lessons are are things that he he said in his in his Tony speech when he won the Tony for uh, best featured actor in a musical and you know it's like one one thing that he always says it's not one of those three things the first he always says the universe is conspiring with you so that is something that I've kept with me since I first heard him say it probably two and a half years ago like ev- every day there's a moment I'm like the universe is conspiring with you the universe wants what you want to happen. It wants it. It wants that for you. You just have to be open to it. You have to look for the door that it's asking you to open. You have to look at the person that it's saying you need to speak to that person and and not not void that. Not turn your back to it. When the universe says it to you, it's like it's waiting for it to happen. So that, but also you know, to make sure that 
you surround yourself with people who, who, who light, whose eyes light up when you walk into a room. And I, I think more and more of that is happening and it's saying, and it allows me to say yes and to hear people and, and to take what they have criticism or love or joy or mentorship and use that also to know that, you know, the, the fastest way is not always the best way. So for me to, to watch him and to, to watch the pace in which Andre moves through life is a testament to just keep, keep walking, walking in the way that you walk, do what you do. You don't have to run someone else's race. I mean, if, as you know, you've probably seen Andre walking, walking through, uh, through Hell's Kitchen at a very steady, but very, very metered, slow pace. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. going. He's going to get exactly where he needs to go, and it, it is that just to know that. Uh, and with the role, I mean, there there are things that were that were set on Andre. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that for me, it's like let's keep that because that makes sense. Similarly to Michael Blakemore's direction in in Kiss Me Kate, mm-hmm. if something is not broken, you don't need to fix it. Just keep it and make it and make it work for you. There are also moments now that's like I don't have to hold on to that because I'm not I'm not understudying or standing by for Andre, this is now, this, the role is now mine to, mm-hmm. to infuse more of T Oliver into it, as opposed to holding on to all, all of those moments that were, oh, that's, that's an Andreism. There are some of those that are so joyful for me. It's like, yes, we're holding on to them. Uh, but there are also some that's like, oh yeah, this, the, the way that I want to actually say this text is not the way that Andre said it. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what's so fantastic about theater is when you go back and see, you know, different actors in the roles and it yeah. it, it just never gets old. You know, mm-hmm. it's so silly, but you know, I was an in, I think it was an intern on Chicago back mm-hmm. in the year and I've seen so many Roxy's and Velma's over the years, but uh-huh. it's always fun because they're all different and some of them are really wacky and some of them are, you know, just serious and some of them are yeah. i mean it's just so great to see what yeah. actors bring um to yeah. the part with, um, and with 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 the same text with the same dialogue yeah. with the same songs it, it but and that's the thing you kind you really want it's like if you just if there's a cookie cutter of of andre who's just coming in and doing and speaking exactly the way andre did it's like wouldn't you rather just see andre yeah if you exactly, were you know you're exactly. seeing you know you know uh, rack time and you're seeing the cookie cutter of stokes wouldn't you just rather see stokes it's it's the joy yeah. of bringing someone else in and knowing what the staging needs to be and knowing what the notes are, but then allowing for an actor to find their version, their 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 character within within the staging, within the dialogue, within within the, the music. Yeah, uh, Hermes is obviously it's such a showman's part. He is the guide. He is moving the action forward. I think, you know. Uh, just being the center, uh, just being so much the heart of of this musical. Um, do you have? Are there any of your past experiences in past shows that you think have prepared you for this particular role? I, I think yes, uh, but not not only past experiences in past shows. I think also life in general, and for me, this this story has always been about in some ways about the mentorship of of Hermes to Orpheus. It's also that moment, you know, from the beginning of the show to the end of the show, 
of Hermes saying to, to the listeners, to the audience, that I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. And then we're still going to have to retell this story because someone's not going to get it. And every, every night there's something else that's happening in, on, on the planet that, that by the end of the show is, is wrapped into that statement for me. Several, you know, several weeks ago or probably, probably several months ago now, it was Ukraine. Then a month and a half ago, it was Buffalo. And then mm-hmm. it was Uvalde, Texas. And there are more and more things. And today it's going to be, you know, this evening it'll be that we're talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, abortion rights have been stripped away. It's like all of these things put us back in that place. Like, this is why we have to tell the story again. We've not, we've not, we've not understood how we need to and can be compassionate and take care of each other and be better than we were yesterday. And until we learn that lesson, we're going to tell the story again. Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit almost like, you know, the second act of Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. um, where you're just going, oh, your heart is breaking for Andy Carl. Yeah. And it's just, you know, mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of impossible dream, too. You know, Absolutely. this song of, you know, we're just going to move and do this. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, we may not win this battle here, but yeah. we're going to go we for have, it. We have, yeah, we have to stay in the race. and We have to yeah. understand that that. We, we cannot be tomorrow who we were yesterday. And there's, there's a lot of us holding on to, grasping on to where we were yesterday because it's comfortable. But yeah. there is no growth. There is, there is no new storytelling. There is no, there is no medicine that's being given to us to, to soothe our hurts if we aren't moving forward, if we aren't looking for new ways to tell stories, if we aren't allowing growth and and more space for people to take up that space. Yeah, absolutely. So in a Broadway season where swings and dance captains and, you know, understudies have been the unsung heroes, you yourself had to step into a role that is usually played by a female presenting actor. And everybody that saw it completely raved about you in the role so tell us how that happened. And also, do you see a future for more sort of non-gender specific writing, casting on Broadway? I uh, Yes, I, let's answer the first, well, the last part first. I think there's absolutely room. Uh, there are clearly, there are clearly stories that have been written for, for male or, or female identifying characters, but there's so, there's so much gray space, gray area in there. That's why can't it be? Or conversations with with playwrights or with directors, like, why can't this be that? Uh, yes, it was one way in your head, but there's nothing that there's nothing in the universe, the world that says that this character that in my head was male identifying has to be that. Uh, and with, with what happened here at Hades town, uh, it, it did open a door. So after I went on for a couple of shows, uh, Tomas Matos, who is non-binary, then they were able to go on for a fate as well while they were here as a, as a vacation swing. But the way that all happened was, as you all know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> and and as, as people go on the 10-day non-vacation, as I like to call it, shows have shifted and shows that have been around for you know many years have many people, cast members over the years who've either been on tour or in the Broadway company, they were able to call them in. For us, because we were you know, within a, a year, a bit, year old before the pandemic and reopening there, we just didn't have, you know, 
the coffers of cast members going right. back and forth. So we knew on Tuesday night that we we're going to have four workers. We normally have five. So I, I left the theater Tuesday night, went home, going through my head. Okay, this is how we make all of these things happen with four workers. Great. Good. Got up Wednesday morning, going to go to the gym, clear my head, be ready for, for the four worker show. Got to the gym, got a text from stage management. We're down to three workers. Okay. So everything that I had got, had figured out in my head as dance captain Tuesday night, none of that makes any sense anymore for three workers. I was supposed to be Hermes that afternoon and we're going to have three workers. So it had gone back through all of that in my head and then realized it was going to be easier if something went wrong for me to actually be one of the workers so that the other Hermes understudy would go on for Hermes and I would be one of those three workers because two of those workers were going to be, were going to be vacation swings. Oh my so goodness. we get to the theater before the matinee. We get through the entire show spacing through what exactly we were going to do, changing papers, adding fates in where they weren't supposed to be there at all. Figured it out. It's going to be great. I look across the stage. Uh, one of the fates was walking towards me. She says, bye. And then I look at stage management and stage manager says, they are out of the show this afternoon. And at that point, that's what we canceled the matinee. And it was like, okay, so apparently I'm going on for fate. It, it would have been something because I teach that material in auditions. It was, you know, we, we laughed and joked about it. And then yeah. it happened. It also happened to be the, the, the highest of the three fate part. One, it sticks out, so it, it was always in my head. It's the thing that I always sang when we were in rehearsals or whatever else. So I knew most of I knew most of the 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 vocals. I knew all of the staging. What I didn't do is know how to play a violin. So I, I did the most unimaginable, uh, just fakery with plucking <laughs> those strings all night long. But so so that's what happened. Uh, Nanette, who's our our was was our amazing uh, wardrobe supervisor. She just retired. She ran out, purchased a couple of dresses. Kevin, our 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 wig supervisor, we ran over to Alcone and got a bunch of makeup. Uh, and by at that point, by <laughs> six thirty, we were ready for me to go on. And I went on that Wednesday night and went on Thursday. And I have to say, is like the thing that I didn't I didn't anticipate was the literally the open mouth sort of like. Un unbelievability of what certain people were seeing. And I think really for the first time, them seeing that there was a place for them on the stage, those, those young people who identify as, as non-binary to see, Oh, there, there's a place that makes sense for me. There's a possibility for me. Whereas I didn't think there was really a possibility before I was either going to have to do this or that, but there is, there is now a space that, that really lies between the two in a really uh, inspiring way, I hope. What an amazing, amazing story. I mean, I hope everybody that's listening can understand what goes on <laughs> to put on the show. <laughs> I mean, so how many workers did you end up with then? Did you have well, three? That, no, that's so that night we ended up having, oh gosh, we ended up still having three workers that night. Uh, but okay. someone, someone who was going to be out in the afternoon still came back tonight. So it, it, it was still, oh, it was, you know, yeah, the wild, wild west on stage. <laughs> but we were able, we were able to do the show for the audiences that, you know, had already, already paid for tickets because that was the other thing, you know, we were, we, they canceled that matinee at, it was a two o'clock matinee. They must have canceled it at like one 
130, 135, yeah. which, you know, there are people standing outside waiting to get in and they're being told, actually, we're not doing a show today. Oh, but amazing, amazing, amazing. And uh, again, I can't, I, I don't even understand how people's brains work who can cover roles like that <laughs> and learn choreography for all those yeah. roles. It's, I could never do that. And I have such appreciation <laughs> for people, you know, when somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm covering three roles. Oh my God. Like, yeah. there's no way it's, I it's could so ever do that. It's, it's the way that I've always learned. I mean, from that first show, I didn't know not to learn everyone's parts. So, Shenandoah, I could sing any of the brothers, I could sing any of the women's parts <laughs> because all I knew was to learn it all. So I was also so I was that precocious kid when someone didn't remember a line in rehearsals I could I could tell them the line because that's what I knew so for me it's like that's always been in my brain it's like so all these parts it's just it's once I started working on Broadway then became a hey just compartmentalize so you know exactly what this role is yeah. or and also it's like once you know for me it's always been once you know one track it's so easy to learn the others because it's oh this person has to cross this person because then they go over here and they, they shake this person's hand and it starts to make sense so that so that as you're walking around stage, it's just remembering which which role you're doing. You mentioned Chicago. <laughs> uh, I did the second national tour of Chicago um, with the wonderful Anne Ryan King. Uh, and it was a cast that it was the tour that had the the seasoned veterans, I will call. So Sandal Bergman and Cheryl Clark, uh, Stephanie Pope oh, yeah. uh, and Karen Ziemba, all of those. And Darren Lee was in that cast. Darren Lee, who I remember before I started working on Broadway, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Darren Lee. Every time I saw him, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Darren Lee. He's so amazing. So yeah. uh, there's one day, Darren had been out for a few days and I had been on for him. He came back in, then I was on for someone else that next show. So I'm on stage. We finish all that jazz. I look at Darren and my head goes, Darren. So I start to go into his track and he literally taps oh, me no. on the shoulder and says, I'm here today. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <You> know. <laughs> So quick question about uh, now that you are Hermes, do you still have yes. to be the dance captain? <laughs> or- I, I, I am still the dance captain. What? I, and I think, I think it may be the, I think it may be the first time on Broadway that this is, this is happening. The star of the show has to be the yes. dance captain. That's yes. so well, crazy. And it's, it, well, and it's also, it's, it's, a, it's also a process <laughs> of, of weaning off so that the assistant dance captain is, is taking on more and more, uh, but yeah, it's 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 it was not a clean break from one to the other. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely no people like show people. I have to say, when I very think true. about that, very true. Um, I want to ask you: you've had a massive impact on the industry with the founding of the Black Theater Coalition, along with Warren Adams and Reggie Van Lee. Can you tell us your journey and experience with that, and how the coalition came about? Absolutely. Well, the coalition came about. Uh, and I, I mentioned the wedding singer earlier, which I did and and made these amazing friendships. One of those was with Eric Lawan Summers, who who passed away several years ago. And when Eric was was sick and we were going to the hospital to visit him, Warren Adams was almost always in, in the hospital room at the same time I was there. And we had seen each other over the years, but had not officially met. And it was then that we both said, like, we should we should sit down because I'd had this initial idea about. Uh, a series of concerts that would not only have black and brown bodies on stage, but make sure that all the other areas were were black professionals as well, so that people who've not been given an opportunity would be able to 
have a light shown on them uh, on the level of things that are happening on, you know, on Broadway and in New York. And as we started talking and looking at, you know, a three and a five year plan, we realized there were some areas that it would just, we would just be using the same person over and over because there were so few people, you know, i.e. lighting designers or sound designers who'd worked on, on the level or scale of Broadway in New York. And we realized like there was, we needed to fix something. And then comes along the pandemic and shuts us down and gives us, gives us both a lot of time to sort of sit and think and how, and, and figure out what we wanted to do and how we wanted to address some of these issues. Uh, and that's, that's when we both sat down with our, our third co-founder, Reggie Van Lee, who has, who is a philanthropist and a huge arts person, uh, on every board you could probably think of, but also a genuinely wonderful human being. And he said to us like, absolutely, I, I want to, I want to be on this journey with you. So that, that was, that was the start. And as we, as we looked and started literally going through, uh, old school, going through our Rolodexes, and calling and emailing everyone that we knew and saying, this is what we want to do. How can you be a part? And we had so many people who jumped on immediately and said, I want, we want to be a part of fixing this industry. We want to be a part of making sure that the industry that we love looks like the, looks like the community that we live in. Uh, and so that when young, you know, young people of color come and see a show. They see people who look like them, not only on stage, but front of house and in the box office and in, in stage management, all these areas. So they realize there's a possibility for a life in this business for them that doesn't require them to sing, act and dance if they don't sing, act and dance. That someone who loves theater can be a music supervisor or a music contractor. Someone who loves theater can be, you know, a lighting designer. Someone who loves theater can be, you know, a wardrobe supervisor. There are all of these, there are all these possibilities that so many kids just don't even know about. And so many people who are either, you know, transitioning from one, one part of our industry to another to know that like it's possible to do it and the doors aren't, aren't always shut. Sometimes it's just asking the question. So for us, it's this, this past year has been, more than we thought it was going to be. We thought we were going to start small, but as we got moving, we just realized that there was so much that needed to be fixed. And as people asked us if we would be a part of things, the answer was yes. Uh, our hope is that you know, in in ten years, you know, we're what we're doing is obsolete because because the industry actually looks like the world around us, and that's not just Broadway. That li that is the the entirety of the American theater industry. So as you look at at yeah regional theaters as well as college programs and who's teaching and what they're teaching and and also getting getting those nine to 12 year olds when they have that spark of interest in the theater to start then really helping them find their way yeah that's fantastic i love what you said about you know the backstage and the administrative and the creative staff jobs because mm -hmm. you you know if you're not an actor you think there's no place for you Yes. here. And I had that experience, you know, I was on my way to law school mm -hmm. after college. And I just thought you didn't work in this industry unless you knew somebody and I knew nobody. Yeah. And absolutely. by chance, I ended up crazily applying for a job at the Shakespeare Theater in DC. Oh, wow. <laughs> and only because a friend of mine got a job at an agency in New York and was working for a theater agent. And I thought, well, if he got a job, and he doesn't know anybody and his parents yeah. don't have a lot of money. Maybe I can get a job. And the Washington Post had an ad and I applied and I got it. And I was a company manager right out of school, didn't Amazing. go to law school. But honestly, like nobody ever told me there was no counseling. This was not a viable career path. Mm -hmm. It just seemed very mysterious. Like, 
how do you even do that? And I guess it's different today too, because people have access to the internet, but that, you know, yeah, but I think daunting. part of it, I think I think there's it is extremely daunting. And as you said, if you don't know someone, you don't know that it's possible. And so many people are afraid to ask for help or ask if it's okay. But and, and I in part there's a part of me that thinks that it it has stayed mysterious purposely. Uh, so that those mm -hmm. who are who yep. have been in the room are able to stay in the room and stay in their in their space in the room. And for us, it's like yeah. let's let's either let's either push away from the table to make room for others, or let's just build a bigger table so that we have space yeah. for for everyone. So that you know whether you're you identify as African American or or Latino or Asian or or whatever it where wherever you find yourself on the spectrum to be able to say, there's a space for me in the theater that doesn't require me to be a white gay man or a white heterosexual man or a white man. So there's space for others to yeah. to be able to- Or, or like a rich say, person. Or a rich person, yeah. And for me, it's like, yeah. it's not so, so that we're in positions of not just cashing checks, but able to write checks, producers, yeah. general managers, all of that, that there's, there's a possibility out there that many people just don't know about. Yeah, no, it's so important. And and I think it, you've made such a difference. Um, and, you know, there's still a ways to go, but I think yeah. we're on the path and you've created a kind of a path and a, and a roadmap for the rest of us. You know, I think about all the time because I'm a Latina. How do we yeah. get more Latinos? We're a third Absolutely. of the population. <laughs> and we're Not like- on Broadway. <laughs> and, yeah. and that is the thing. It's like, yeah. Yeah, we're a third of the population and we're like, three or 4% of the Broadway parts. How is that yeah. possible? We're in, and, it, and that has know. to change. And again, it's like, yeah. and for me, it's like you, whether, again, whether you're, you're, you're South Asian or Latin or, or African American, it's like, if there's a playwright that's telling a story and it's, it's a story of humanity, guess what? We're all going to come and see it because we know, we know the struggles of family. We know the, str the struggles yeah. of, you know, of mother and son, mother and father, whatever that is, we'll come and see that if it's a story that brings truth for us. But yeah. what we won't do is be pandered to or see that you're only bringing us in for this when you don't you don't seem to care about us when it comes to other shows that we may want to see, other things that we may want to address, and when there are opportunities that could be for us, but you're not you're not seeing us or inviting us to the table. Yeah. So it is about making sure that yeah. you know that we're we're there, that we're being seen. Yeah. And that's what I love about Hades Town. It's like they're DDs. They can be anything. Yeah. Yes. And even yes. the states. So they're supposed mm -hmm. to be three old women, but who knows what that means, really? You know? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're so, okay. I'm so glad you said that. I mean, it, it's very true. It's like, what, 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 what is the definition of, of woman a thousand years ago? What exactly. does that mean? And how, and how can we reshape the story and the text in a way that tells us the story? as we are in 2022, as we want to be in 2022. Yeah. You're a highly acclaimed Broadway actor, but you're also a multiple award-winning cabaret artist. Um, are there different acting muscles for cabaret? There are. I, I think I think because the rooms are usually so much more intimate, there is, there is a connection that and it, it's so odd because I, I have, you know, friends who work on Broadway all the time or in principal roles don't like cabaret because there is there is no veil. There is no fourth wall. There's mm -hmm. nothing keeping you from the audience. 
and to be able to you know open up in that way and be that intimate with text and with people who are you know six feet away from you is is it's a, it's a different way of storytelling it's a it's a different way of really have to having to stay connected uh and yeah it's yeah it's it, for me it's like there, there there are many things that are similar but there is definitely the intimacy factor that plays into cabaret that's that's yeah. so joyful for me yeah i mean so many times like, I, it can feel like you're 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 singing to just one person in the room uh yeah. and yeah I do feel that, um, you know, there's, well, the intimacy, but also it's, you're removing kind of the mask and revealing yourself to people. And I, I can understand why that is so scary to some actors yeah. who mm -hmm. go into acting because they want to put on a character and a costume. And yeah. then, you know, you come to cabaret and people, and I find, you know, especially our audiences, they really understand the difference between somebody getting up and doing a wonderful set of show tunes and somebody really bearing their soul and having a connection with them. Absolutely. Um, you know, and those are obviously there's a room for all shows because we have 700 shows <laughs> to, <laughs> to produce a year. But you know, those are my favorites are when you can see the person yes. really see them. Um, mm -hmm. You're also an acting professor at Columbia. So, and NYU, how do you find the time to teach and do cabaret and be a dance captain and uh, and a leading man? <laughs> and and I also add to that, Ryder University. I'm a full time faculty there. It's it oh wow. Like, I I have always done better when I'm really busy, and I, I feel like I have really put that to the test over the pandemic. <laughs> uh, it, but I have to say, it's like you know when when everything shut down and so many. So many of, so my, so many of my friends and peers were scrambling for what they were going to do for work. I was lucky that I was in a position and that I knew that the work at Columbia and NYU was going to continue. And then I had someone ask me if I wanted to teach at uh, Ohio University. So I did that as well during during the pandemic over mm -hmm. Zoom with the students there, which was amazing. And then I had this opportunity to. Uh, apply for an interview at Ryder University. And I've always loved the idea of those of us who are in the business in a certain in a certain place, you know, providing whatever wisdom to the next generation of a performer and artist that we can. So it's it's always been in my head that that would be a part of my journey. Uh, I did not realize that they were all going to sort of come together at the same time. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it, it definitely has been a, you know, sometimes a day to day is like, you have to get this done, this done, this done. Some days it's a, okay, you know what the week is going to be. So all these things are, are part of the puzzle. It, it's definitely a lot of work. Uh, but it, every level of it, of it has been fulfilling, stressful and fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I teach at um, Brooklyn college and also at NYU and it's a uh, lot. You know, yeah. but I do feel committed to try to inspire young people to enter the arts on yes. the admin side and mm -hmm. whatever I can give. Cause obviously an adjunct salary isn't really, you know, that's yeah. not why I do it, but it's mm -hmm. definitely about trying to get more people into the business and inspire them into, into doing what I do and what all yeah. of us do. Final but, question. But we have, we, we 
well, before that, oh, we, no, we, have, we have to have a second conversation, just the two of us, about Brooklyn College, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of the school. And again, figuring out, again, as you said, to get more students who are not at those, those quote unquote, big schools, you know, oh. no, no offense to the Carnegie Mellons or the no, totally. CCMs or whatever, but there are so, there's so many other opportunities and so many, oh, and so many students that are being overlooked. So that's 100%. No, 100%. And that's the reason I took the job there, even though I have like three other jobs and <laughs> I teach yoga and spin at the gym and I do a bunch of other things. But I just, when they approached me about teaching at Brooklyn College, I thought this yeah. is important because yes. the kids that go there are not necessarily coming from backgrounds that have huge resources. They're not going to the Columbia's, or, yes. you know, the Yale's. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. but they are, you know, smart and amazing. My students were yeah. amazing this season and mm -hmm. they're all going to be incredible theatrical leaders, mm -hmm. but they, you know, they have to be given a chance. And yeah. so that was important to me to, to teach there in addition to everywhere else. I, uh, I understand that completely. Yeah. Last question. Um, you know, you're coming back to find signs 54 below to do a cabaret. Uh, what, tell us about your show and what audiences yeah. might expect. Well, as you said earlier about the idea of people being people being able to look into the soul of someone, there's there's a bunch of that in this show. Um, I first heard the song that that Sunday that summer. Uh, Nat King Cole sang it on on several of his albums, and it's it's always been in my head. But this this show is a song filled with love songs, but not not all of the songs that you normally go to, because as as we know, if if you're not 18 years old and thinking that pie in the sky, lovey dovey love love and and holding on to love and holding on to relationships takes a lot of energy and their highs and lows and there's their broken hearts and there are moments of i'm not happy right now but i know that we'll get through this so they're all of those songs so from you know rogers and hammerstein and rogers and hart to um alan and marilyn bergman which are some of my favorite love songs ever and if you, <laughs> the lyrics to you know you don't bring me flowers it's a love song but but she is upset there, yeah. there has been, there's been some wrongdoing. So the idea of having all of that mixed into a show, um, I've, I've been with my, my partner for 12 years now. And it's, it is that, it is that thing is like, you make the decision every day to be with each other. And some days that decision is easy. Yeah. And some days it takes, it takes you reminding yourself 8,000 times. I said that I was going to be with this person. So we'll get through this day. Um, yeah. and so there are all of those songs uh, that are a part of the show and a, a part of the journey of being in a relationship uh, from my point of view. Oh, how wonderful. That sounds so exciting. We're really looking forward to it. T, Me too. Thank you so much. I know how busy you are, so it is so appreciated that you could join us today. My pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for coming by. Um, you can catch T. Oliver Reed on July 24th at Fine Science 54 Below with his show that Sunday, that summer. Tickets at 54below.com. You've been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 